in Psalm uh, chapter 79, if you want to open up your Bible there. And as we go through our our study today, we're going to see a couple of Psalms. The first two have to deal with the nation of Israel um, just praying because they're going through some hard times as they're in captivity. And they're they're lessons for us. Uh, You guys know that God wants to bless your life. Do you guys know that? That God wants to open up the windows of heaven and lavish down blessings upon you that, man, you don't even know. He wants to move mountains. He wants to save your kids, your loved ones, your neighbors, your family. I mean, He wants to save the community of Almani. He wants to do great things in you. He wants to give you strength. He wants you to walk on water. I mean, so many things. But what gets in the way is sin. You know, sin. Uh, Romans chapter 7 says, I don't do the things that I want to do. And so sometimes we're not reading, we're not praying. We're not really seeking the Lord. We're not doing the things that we should do. Therefore, we can't, you know, we end up doing the things that we don't want to do. Next thing you know, you're angry with your, you know, your wife or your kids or your coworker or just, you know, you get upset. And, you know, what we find is that as a result of sin, you know, God's people, unfortunately, they miss out on the blessings that God wants to give them. Not only like the rewards, you know, for being a Christian and the way he wants to use your life, but also the discipline, you know, that you'll experience, unfortunately. Uh, It's because God loves you, but unfortunately what we find is that most of the church is not really living under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have lessons in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, an example of that, how God had blessed them, how God had saved them, how God God had brought them out of Egypt and they didn't live a, a, a life of appreciation for that. And so Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross for you. He died for you. He loves you. He saved you. I mean, if it weren't for him, where would we be? How many of us would be in jail? How many of us would be addicted to drugs? How many of us would still be drinking? How many of us would be divorced? How many of us would be dead? If it weren't for Jesus Christ, he's done so much for us. And yet a lot of times we're not living the life of appreciation that we should. And so we see the lesson, unfortunately, through the mistakes of the uh, children of Israel. We're going to see that in Psalm 79 and 80. But listen, man, your life's not over. God can still do a great work. You know, I'm 52. I'm getting older. I'm kind of getting towards the end of my years. Uh, It doesn't matter, though. Who knows? Maybe I still have a, a couple of years left. Some of you guys who are younger, um, take advantage of that youth. You know, don't wait until you're 45 or 55 before you get your life right with God. You know, start now. Okay, so Psalm 79. Let's read the first four verses here in Psalm 79. It says, it's a psalm of Asaph, and so that would be a descendant of the religious uh, uh, musician, the, the chief musician. He, he says, oh, oh God, The nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heavens. The flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem. And there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to those who are around us. Their their times of prosperity had become times of misery. 
These were people who were living on the mountaintop. These were people who were experiencing the miraculous power of Almighty God. And suddenly, man, just the, the roof caved in, the floor fell down, and they were thrashed as a nation. You know, tragic circumstances behind the psalm is that the southern kingdom of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, the Jewish temple, had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And you read about that in 586 B.C., they came, they surrounded Jerusalem, and they burned everything down. You know, here the psalmist tells the Lord all about this, and, and he wants the Lord to remember that, you know, these are people that belong to him in a special way. They were his inheritance. Look again, if you would, at, at verse 1. He's saying, he's talking to God, kind of complaining to God, but it's good to complain at least to God, not to others. He, he's saying, oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance, your temple, he says there in verse 1. In verse 2, they're the dead bodies of your servants. He says there in verse 2, that the flesh of, of your saints. I mean, he clearly wants the Lord to know that these are, are your people, this is your temple, and the enemy has come in and done these things. The, the nations right there, uh, the word is in reference to the Gentiles or the heathens. They had not only come into the temple, but they desecrated it. They defiled it. And they had killed so many soldiers. Uh, Josephus, the historian, uh, Jewish historian, tells us that they threw tens of thousands of soldiers over the wall. And there were mounds of dead bodies. Now, in any society, if you don't give someone a proper burial, it's a disgrace but especially to the Jewish people. And so this is what they had experienced. That's what happened there. And the once mighty nation of Israel, especially under the leadership of David and Solomon, arguably probably the most powerful kingdom in that region in those days, we read in verse 4, had become a reproach to their neighbors, the object of scorn, mocks, insults, taunts. It was a horrible and tragic event. You know, kind of like uh, the United States of America. You know, our, our country is right now probably a superpower, if not at one time, the greatest country in the world. And imagine the day that God judges United States of America. You know, I know we're not a theocracy and we're not Israel, and there is a distinction but I think there are some things that we can relate to and that I believe God did establish our nation in many ways with a Judeo-Christian uh, foundation. And so because of the fact that we're not living uh, for Him, you know, that you look at our country and we're leading the world in sin, do you think that God's going to hold back much longer? I don't think so. And one day the whole world is going to see what happens to this nation. And I think that first, God is probably going to rapture us out. That's my hope, you know. But then, watch out, because the judgment of God will come. So, so that's what happened to, to Israel. Here he's complaining. And then in verse 5, he says, How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. 
Now, again, we don't know exactly when the psalm was written, but remember, when you study the history of Israel, you'll find that they were in captivity for 70 years. Now, how many of you would say that's a long time to go through a trial? You know? You're like, Lord, it's been 70 hours, and I'm you know, going through this, and it's been hard. You know, or 70 days, you know, it's been almost, you know, whatever, two uh, months, uh, and it's been so tough, and whatever. Uh, imagine 70 years they went through this trial. Who knows, maybe when this was written, you know, it was 40 years into it, and he's asking, you know, how long? We don't know when this psalm was written, but we do know that it was during the time when they were captive in Babylon. It was God's discipline upon them and they would be in captivity for 70 years. Because when God established the nation of Israel, he said, every seventh year, what I want you to do is let the land rest. I don't want you to plant anything. I just want you to let the land rest. It would be good for the soil. It would be good for you when you plant things. Uh, and it's also a lesson for you to trust me. But the nation of Israel, they never let the land rest. Uh, they continued to you know, plant uh, the, the, the seed. Why? Because they were greedy. Why? Because they became materialistic, like we can be so easily. Why? Because they didn't really trust the Lord. They didn't give that to him. And so the nation of Israel not only got involved in the materialism, not really trusting God, not really appreciating their salvation, but then they began to get caught up with the idols of the land. And they began to put things before God, just like we do so easily. We can put people before God. We can put, you know, these idols, these gods, the God of money or the God of sex, the God of drugs, the God of drinking. I mean, you name it, even ministry. We can put things. And anytime anything comes before God, it becomes an idol. You know, some people won't come to church. Why? Because they want to work their second job. They want to earn a, a few you know, dollars or, or just they don't want to read their Bible. Why? Because they don't want to get out of bed. The Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs how they love sleep. You know, and, and if only they would get up and get on their knees and pray and talk to God and open up their Bible and ask him to speak to them and to teach them things. All I know is that they were in captivity and they were being judged by God, and the Bible made it clear it would be for 70 years. Jeremiah told them it would be 70 years that they would suffer this judgment. I want to take you back to a few uh, passages in the book of Leviticus. Uh, if you would go back there, I know it's a lot of you, it's your favorite book in the Bible, and it should be. Look at Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25 in verse 4, it says, But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. They were just to let the land go wild. They were to trust the Lord every seven years, right? And so you go over to Leviticus chapter 26, and it's interesting, the Lord talks about how he would bless their life if they lived a life of obedience. And I'm telling you guys, it's true. God will bless your life if you live a life of obedience. But if you don't, if you insist and persist on your own ways, he goes on in Leviticus chapter 26 to describe the way that they would be judged. And we see it over and over and over again in this chapter right here. And it just deteriorates as you continue on. 
But look what we read in Leviticus chapter 26 in verse uh, 27. It says, And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Think of that. I mean, it's just crazy. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. And later on, we're going to see how God would not listen to their prayers. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it, I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest for the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwell in it. And so God had made it very clear to them exactly what he would do. And they were in the land 490 years. So it comes out to a total of 70 years that they didn't let the land rest. And so God said, okay, you're going into captivity for 70 years. And Jeremiah wrote it down. In Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 12, he told the people. And Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. So the, the psalmist shouldn't have asked how long. God had warned them, just like God warns us. And he's, he means what he says, and he says what he means. That if you live a life of obedience, I'll bless you. But if you live a life of consistent, persistent disobedience, then I will discipline you, and you will experience God's love in that way. And so back in the Psalms, we see in verse 5 that God was angry. And we see in verse 5 that God was jealous. Notice again in Psalm 79, in verse 5, How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Have you guys ever had someone jealous over you? Is it good or bad? What do you think? How many of you guys think it's good? It's kind of good. Well, you're like, you won't say anything, huh? (laughs) I mean, sometimes it can be bad, I guess, if it goes to an extreme. But, but in one sense, it's kind of flattering, you know, that, that they would be jealous over you, that they, that they love you. And, you know, my wife will come up to me and say, hey, I saw that, ch- that girl check you out. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go get her, you know. I'm just, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. She never done that. But, um, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm pretty, pretty special. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, you're God's. You're, you're God's bride, and he doesn't want you two-timing him. And so right there in verse 5, God, God's angry, God's jealous, because you went after someone else. Listen, it's so simple to me, this whole sin of idolatry. Whenever I put anything before God, anyone before God, whenever I put me, myself and I, the unholy trinity, before God, That's idolatry. 
And so God was, was jealous. They unfortunately had been two-timers. And so the, the psalmist here, he asked how long, and he should have known, but he asked for mercy for Israel, and he also asked for justice for Babylon. He continues to pray in verse 8, and he says, Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins, for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants, which has been shed. And so you find yourself there. This is where the nation of Israel was. And they, and they prayed. And so I want to encourage you to do the same thing, to pray. It, I think it's good here in this section that the psalmist acknowledges the sin of God's people. He mentions their sin in verse 9. He mentions their iniquities in verse 8 probably attributing it to the previous generations. But, but he prays. He says, Oh Lord, do not remember former iniquities. Do not hold it against us. Don't hold us accountable or guilty for the sins of our ancestors. And he asks for God's tender mercies to come speedily to meet them. Because what we find right here is that he feels like they're about to die that they're at the end of their rope. You know, and I, a lot of times, and I don't know if you guys ever come in contact with people like that, but the other day I ran into a, a young lady. She came up to me and just basically told me I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. I don't want to continue. I don't want to function. You know, can you pray for me? There's a lot of people out there that are like that. They feel like they're going to die. She said, I don't want to kill myself but I don't want to live. And there's a lot of people out there, huh? They are thinking of suicide. Who knows, maybe even here tonight, you know? And that's right. He's saying, Lord, don't remember my iniquities. Help me and help me quick, speedily, he says, because I don't know if I can go on. You know, and, and so what we find this is a, a tough place for, for them to be. They, they're there in Babylon and the nation of Israel doesn't know if they're going to continue as a nation, right? And, and of course, we know just the fact that they were still alive was God's tender mercies upon them and it's God's tender mercy upon us. Notice again what he prays for. He prays in verse 8, O do not remember for me iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us. And so let's just say that you're here tonight, man, and you've blown it. You messed up. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you've done. But let's just say that you're here with a soft heart, with a repentant heart, with a heart that says, Lord, I want to do the right thing. I want to get right with you. God, will you forgive me? God, will you help me? I tell you what, God will meet you there every time. Because God, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, is rich in mercy. Huh? And He will do a new work. I love Psalm 103 in verse 8 through 12. It's a long passage, but notice what it says. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. 
He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And let me ask you a question. How far is the east from the west? It's a vanishing point. You come to God, you ask for forgiveness, and he washes them away, and he remembers them no more. Just like the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my name's sake, and I will not remember your sins. The Bible says in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, that his mercies are new every morning. You know, sometimes what messes Christians up is they listen to the language of Lucifer. They listen to the dialogue of the devil who tells them, hey, you're, you're all messed up, you're not forgiven, you know, you got this monkey on your back, you can't go forward because you've made these mistakes and you've sinned in the past and it, and it weighs you down and it slows you down and you can't even seek God or serve God the way that you want to because you feel like the sin's still all over your soul and it's not. Listen, when you come to God with genuine repentance, he gives you a brand new start. And he remembers your sins no more. This is what the psalmist is praying for. And, and it's interesting to me. Look at verse 8 again, if you would. He says, Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily, notice, to meet us. And I thought that was interesting because... When I, when I read that right there, I, I, I think about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Do you guys remember this terrible, terrible, terrible son who went to his father and said, give me my inheritance. In those days, that would be the equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead. Give me my money so that I can go out and I can spend it on prodigal living. So I can go out and get drunk. So I can go out and sleep around. So I can go out you know, and hire prostitutes. So I can go out and sow my wild oats. So I can go out and live my life. I, 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 you're as good as dead to me. The dad, however, gave him his inheritance and he went out and he wasted everything. Imagine that. You know, and so then times fall and, you know, the, the, the economy, you know, drops and next thing you know, he can't find a job. So eventually he finds himself eating the pig food. But while he's there eating the pig food, he remembers to himself, you know, my dad's servants, they had it better than this. I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll tell my dad, hey, dad, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore, but will you, will you at least hire me as a servant? And so, you know, he comes to his senses and then he starts heading back and he starts going back to his father. But the Bible says in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, so he got up in verse 20 and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And, and when I read that, what I read right here in Psalm 79 verse 8, let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us. You know, that's what I see. 
how God will give you a new start. And it's so amazing, you know, the father then, he ran to him, which in those days, it wasn't really dignified for a father to run, but he, you know, he girded up his robe and he ran to him and he put, you know, a, a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and he killed the fatted calf and he threw a party. And he said, no way, you, you're not going to be a servant, you're my son. You will always have this place in my heart. You see, that's what happens when we come back to the Lord. You know, here we see the psalmist asks for forgiveness and mercy and grace. And he, and he gives the reasons, first of all, because they had been brought very low. We read that there in verse 8. And that means that they were in desperate need. They were in serious trouble. They were on the brink of destruction. And then secondly, we read in verses 9 through 10 that, Lord, you would do this work for your name's sake. Because people know that I'm a believer. And if you would help me to be right with you and that could be a witness to the world that's watching and god would eventually judge babylon because god does avenge the blood of his people and so we read in in closing in verse 11 let the groaning of the prisoner come before you according to the greatness of your power preserve those who are appointed to die and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. So we, your people and sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. You know, and, and that's, where, that's where verse 11, I mean verse 13, that's where we should stay, you guys. That's where we should stay. That we, God's people, God's sheep, would live a life of gratitude and, 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 and worship forever and ever. In conclusion, we are vividly reminded that God is holy. And he warns us. He says what he means and means what he says. You want to go out there and you want to get drunk? You want to go look at porn? You want to you know, have sex before marriage? You want to do all those things? You want to live your own life? then you will suffer the consequences of that. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Be so careful that you don't play with sin. I mean, thank God, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. But Paul writes to the Romans, so then should we continue in sin? That grace may abound? Certainly not. Listen, God knows your heart. My prayer is that our hearts would be inclined to live a life of obedience. But if he's dealing with you today and he's drawing you back to himself, understand God is a merciful God. So let's humble ourselves. Let's come clean. Let's repent of our sins. Let's ask him for forgiveness because he really is rich in mercy. Just like he was with the children of Israel. And, and we see something similar in Psalm chapter 80. Look what we read. It says, To the chief musician set to the lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a song. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved 
Now this psalm is similar in nature to the previous psalm. It's a prayer for restoration, for salvation, not just for uh, survival, but man, revival. The people are suffering some sort of tragedy, some sort of calamity. And I think it easily fits within the context of Psalm 79 where the children of Israel were carried away to Babylon. And so when we read verses 1 through 3, I I love the way that it identifies the Lord as the shepherd of Israel who leads his people in verse 1. And it says right here that he's the Lord who dwells between the cherubim. And we read that here and other places in the Bible. In Psalm 99 verse 1, and in Second Kings uh, chapter 19, verse 15. And we have a, a picture here of the Ark of the Covenant. And so there you see the two cherubim. Now the cherubim are always associated with the throne of God. And so what we find in the Bible is that the Ark of the Covenant, where you, when you were to go into the tabernacle, you guys remember, you go into the tent, and the first thing you would see there, you would see the showbread, you would see the, the lampstand, you would see the prayer uh, altar of incense, where they would go and they would offer that symbolic of the prayers of the saints. But then there was a second room, uh, the most holy place, and that's where this was. And the only the high priest was allowed to go in there once a year on the day of Yom Kippur or the day of atonement. And when the high priest would go into that place, what he would do, he was he'd take the blood and he would put it right there on top of the Ark of the Covenant, on the lid, on the mercy seat. And that's where the blood would go. That's when Jesus died for our sins. That right there is a shadow of the substance of what's in heaven. That's where the blood went. And so what you find in looking at this passage right here, notice again, it says in verse 1, You who dwell between the cherubim shine forth. And so they had messed up. Again, they're in captivity And now he's asking for this shepherd to lead them, the one who dwells right there between the cherubim, to shine forth. And we're going to see later what that means is God, smile on us. Smile on us. Right now, you have a frown. (laughs) Right now, you're upset with us. Right now, you're angry with us. Right now, you're dealing with us. And let me tell you something. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You do not want God's disfavor over your life. You don't know who you're messing with. But what he's saying right here is say, God, shine forth. You who dwell between the cherubim, Lord, smile on us. And and what we find is it's interesting because that place right there, that's where God meets with us. Did you know that? Hebrews chapter 4, let us come boldly before the throne of, of grace, right? The throne of God. It's interesting, even in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, God said to Moses, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. And in Numbers chapter 7 and verse 89, it says, Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, He heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. And so what's God saying? I will speak to you from my throne in this place that is covered with the blood 
of Jesus Christ. And you guys remember when Jesus died on the cross? Do you guys remember what happened? The veil between the holy place and the most holy place was torn in two from top to bottom. And God said, now you can enter in. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have, then you can meet with God from there. If not, I encourage you tonight to give him your life. What he's saying right here is, is God, in your mercy, shine forth. Restore us. Rescue us. You know, maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, life is pretty good. Well, let me ask you a question. Is your life everything that God wants it to be? I'm not talking about squeaking by. I'm not talking about, you know, you're a good swimmer. There you are in the Sea of Galilee. You're swimming pretty good. No, I'm talking about walking on water. I'm talking about that, that man of God, that God's called you to be. Is, is that what you're experiencing? You know, that's what God calls us to. Lord, restore us. You know, for some Christians, it's time to, to get back to where you belong. You know, if you're not a Christian, then he's saying, Lord, save us. This goes back to the prayer God commanded the high priest to pray over Israel in order to bless them in Numbers 6, 23 through 27. And we're going to see he asked for this three times. In verse 3, restore us, O God, cause your face to shine. In other words, look upon us with favor, and we shall be saved. In verse 4, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. And he says it again, Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. You know, the, the God of hosts, uh, host is war, it's battle. It speaks of heaven's armies and the Almighty, the leader of God's army was angry with them even angry with their prayers. Okay, so you're going to come to church, you're going to go pray, and that's how you treat your wife? You're going to go and do this, and you've been messing around over there and doing all that kind of stuff, and you have the audacity to get on your knees and say, Lord, you know, and your hands are filled with blood and sin? God was angry with their prayers. Listen, we have to get right with God. I mean, we don't know all our sin. None of us do, but some do, and they do it anyways. You got to get right with God. You have to let go of the sin, and then when you do, God's not angry, but here he's angry with their, with their, with their prayers. Lamentations 3.44 says, You have covered yourself with a cloud that prayers should not pass through, and then you're wondering, why isn't God moving? He's not hearing our prayers. 1 Peter 3.7 says, because we're not treating our wife right. We're not dwelling with them with understanding. I mean, you know, so we want, I don't know about you, but doesn't that kind of scare you to think that your prayer life might not be right? You know, so right here he's saying, you know, this is hard times. Imagine eating tears like bread, drinking tears and tears and tears for years. And there are those people out there. They're living that, that nightmare. You know, today I got a phone call from a mom who asked for prayer. We got a text from a mom that, whose son was arrested. That's a hard place to be. Imagine your son's now in jail. 
Or I got another text message from another mom who said the anniversary of my 21-year-old son's death is coming up. You know, in the beginning of March, do you think, Pastor, you could say a special prayer? And the whole year has gone by and the tears have not stopped. You know, some people, they're living that nightmare. Some, it's because of the fact that they're living in obedience. Others, because they're being chastened by God. Some of those guys, can you imagine a lot of those guys in prison, locked up, some of them for life? And they knew better? This is them. You know, so much regret. Listen, if that's you, don't give up. What we find right here is, he's, you know, he looks up the... The psalmist sings. This is a song and he prays for restoration. He's asking for salvation. And he reminds the Lord that they were his people. Look at verse 8. Lord, we're your work. We're your history. Look at verse 8. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the rivers. I mean, what he's saying right here is, Lord, what you did in Israel was so great. Redeeming Israel, the slaves defeated the soldiers. God brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land. He cast out the nations there in Canaan, you know, imagine that. There were giants in the land. God gave them that. God saved them. Just like God saved you. God planted the vine. It took deep root. And when he talks about the mountains, he talks about the southernmost portion of Israel. When he talks about the cedars, he goes all the way to the north there in Lebanon. When he talks about the river, he's talking about the Euphrates River. When he talks about the sea, he's talking about the Mediterranean. This amazing work that God had done, described in 1 Kings chapter 4, he says, God, you have blessed us. And so how did they show their appreciation? You know what they did? <laughs> they, they sinned, right? Look, notice what we read in, in verse 12. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The boar out of the woods uproots it and the wild beast of the field devours it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. You know, this morning, uh, interesting, I just kind of got up and I started text messaging a whole bunch of people and, uh, and one of the brothers that, that texts me back, he was just basically saying, you know, I'm having a hard time getting back. Getting back on track. Getting back to that place where I used to be. You know, and, and, and this is kind of what we see happening here. You know, he, he's, he's praying, Lord, revive me. Lord, quicken me. Lord, give me that life again. You know, this morning I was talking to the Lord and I ended up then talking to my wife about how God 
It sets a hedge of protection around us. Job chapter 1 verse 10 also talks about that hedge of protection. And if it weren't for that hedge of protection over your life, the devil will kill you and your family just like that, right? And so it's there every day, right? And we have to thank God for his protection. But if we lose the appreciation for our salvation, then we can so easily fall into consistent, persistent, insistent sin we end up setting up idols in our lives and then before we know it we force our father to break down those hedges of protection now we don't have time to turn there but i encourage you later on you read isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 7 where god basically says to israel i planted you at this vineyard and man you were so blessed and i did everything i did everything for you and what did you do you sinned. And so God had to break down the hedge of protection. And what ended up happening is they came in, the enemies came in and had their way. You know, when you look at this right here, it's interesting in verse 17, he says, let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. He's, he's praying, God, get me out of this. Lord, help me through this. Some see this as Israel, the, the man as Israel, but most see it as someone like, that would lead you know, Israel. I, I think of Ezra, I think of Nehemiah. I think of how God sometimes will raise up individuals in the church like a Martin Luther or C.H. Spurgeon or you know, maybe even a Chuck Smith or a Billy Graham. Maybe that'll be you. Lord, raise up a leader. But ultimately, who's it speaking of? I think it's speaking of Jesus. And that's what he's talking about. Lord, if you would help us and raise up a leader for us and a savior for us, then we will not turn back from you. And he's saying, revive us and we will call upon your name. And then he, he says again in verse 19, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. And I, I believe with all my heart that we're living in the last of the last days. And I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord. I don't know where you're at in your expectations, uh, you know, for, for what's the Lord going to do. But I, I can't help but hope, you know, that God is going to do something great in me and through me and in this church and in the last days. You know, and that we have to have that. You know, the Lakers are hoping to make the playoffs. You know, it's kind of like that, you know. Uh, I'm hoping for so much more, Lord. And so, Lord, revive us. Lord, let your face shine upon us, God. I think even of Calvary Chapel and how it all started and we're talking about the, the glory days and, and the good old days, kind of. And Lord, let it be now. Let it be again. Let it be people saying, you know, when I got off the, the 605 freeway and I started heading towards Calvary Chapel, I sensed the Holy Spirit. You know, because what ends up happening is you get a group of people who believe. You get a group of people who, you know, who fear only God, who hate sin, who pray, who seek the Lord. And then what ends up happening is they're praying, God, let your face shine upon us. Restore us and save us. And then, Lord, all we need, that's all we need is for you to look down on us and to smile upon us. One more time. And so one more, one more psalm. We have to do Psalm 81. 
And look what it says. It says, Sing aloud as a psalm of Asaph to the chief musician on an instrument of gath. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast day. And most people believe this is in reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. That was a tradition when they would celebrate how God had sustained them in the wilderness. He says, For this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt when, and this is interesting, I heard a language I did not understand. Now, more than likely, that's in reference to the new work that God did in Israel. Because some say, well, the language they didn't understand is the language of the Egyptians. But most say it was the voice of God. As God began to speak to them, as God began to establish this covenant through Moses, as God gave Moses the word, now God is speaking again. And so he, he starts his psalm off with some pretty cool praise. Notice, uh, angel, sing loud. It says sing loud. Make a joyful shout. Do you guys ever do that? Yeah, when Robert Horry hit the three-pointer. No, I'm talking about for the Lord, you know? I mean, this, this is so cool. Notice what he says in verse 6. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. That's when the Egyptians used to take those baskets. I mean, the Israelites would take the baskets of, of bricks and they were so heavy. God set them free from the slavery. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, how God had spoken to them and just set them free. They went through the sea. He gave them water in Exodus chapter 17. And so he says, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What's the first of the Ten Commandments? Do you guys know? That's pretty good, Reuben. But I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments described in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before me. Why? Because I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. Listen, he saved you. Do you remember that? For some of you, it was a day. For others, it was a season. Let him be number one in your life. That's what he's saying there. We've got to get back to living a life of appreciation for our salvation. And then what ends up happening, don't you like what he says right there? Open wide your mouth. Notice what he says. This is kind of interesting. You're like, hey, I can talk. No, he's not talking about you talking. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And what's he saying right there? I don't, God wants to give you something good. We have a couple of visuals to kind of show you what this means. Can you guys see those birds right there? That's what he's talking about. God, I wanna, God says, I want to give you something so good. Get back to living a life of 
faith and appreciation for your salvation. Don't think that God just wants to give you like little morsels. He wants to bless your life. You know, so much so, I like the next one. It's a little bit more our generation. <laughs> Open your mouth wide. That's, have, how many of you here have had a four by four? Any of you here? We've had four by fours. Now we're talking six by sixes, man. Listen, listen to me. God wants to bless your life more than you realize. And I'm not talking about food, but yeah, maybe some of that. I'm talking about things that will blow you beyond your wildest imaginations. We, we close this psalm in verse 11, but my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have led them, fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. Be honest, okay, be honest. How many Christians do you think are living the abundant life? I would say it's a, it's a small percentage. And one day they're going to be there at the end of their life with a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas, a lot of regrets because they did not take heed to what we read today. But if we do take heed, what we find right there, that last verse God says, I would have given them the finest wheat. Imagine how good that bread would be, you know? And this is interesting. He says, and I would have given them honey from the rock. Honey from the rock. What's that? We, you know, we think of the water from the rock. I bet you that was the best water. But what's the honey from the rock? We're talking something sweet. How many of you here like sweets? Chocolate? Okay, we're talking God is so good. He would even give you the honey from the rock. Right now, I don't know if you guys, you guys know this or not, Baskin Robbins has love potion. That's what I was thinking about, man. But in a, in a, in a greater way. And my, my, my daughter told me about this love potion ice cream and I was like, I'm sure it's not that. I tried it. Oh my gosh, I fell in love. It was so good. <laughs> So we went to Baskin Robbins and my wife bought the last batch. And so anyways, what I'm, what I'm trying to share and we'll have the musicians come forward is that uh, it's, an, it's just about an appreciation for salvation, that he brought us out of Egypt and we should live our life for him. No idols, nothing before God, just a reckless abandon for him. And if we do, if we do, God will bless your life beyond your wildest imagination. But if you don't, if you want to continue to live your own little life of sin, you will suffer the consequences. The choice is yours.